Transmitting from the lovely little city of Taylor, Texas, you are listening to Plow and Hose, a show dedicated to the joys and challenges of organic backyard gardening in Central Texas. I am your host, Julie Rydell. Welcome to the show. Hi there, plant people. Thank you for joining me today. Well, I think it's been about two weeks since our big ice storm and it's been cold and crazy and stupid and expensive. And I'm just so ready for spring. Now we are coming up on Valentine's Day, so happy Valentine's Day. And that kind of marks our two-year anniversary from dealing with winter storm Yuri. Last year, we also had um, some icy weather this time last year, but last year was nothing compared to 2021. And really, this last storm was not nearly as bad as that one. Um, it, It was not as cold or, and it was not snowy. We didn't have power here at our house, um, for this this storm. Uh, we didn't have power for four days. But, you know, that kind of like reminded me of um, not having power when power or water during winter storm Yuri and uh, flashbacks to all of that. But this time, at least we had water and I was not having to melt snow for fresh water. So had that going. Central Texas was hit hard with the ice this time. Taylor and Eastern Williamson County, especially just so many power outages in this part of the county. And that was thanks to the ice on the power lines, but also on the trees. Now for me and a whole bunch of us, 2021 was, that storm was like, life-changing, life-altering. 2023 storm, it was more landscape-altering because there was just so much damage to the trees. Even though, um, you know, this ice storm was harsh, it wasn't the extended freeze, like the brutal deep freeze that we got two years ago. This year... It didn't get nearly as cold and the um, precipitation came as ice, not snow. The storm of 2021 mostly killed and damaged plants that could not tolerate temperatures below 25 degrees. That storm knocked down weakened limbs and trees. It also significantly affected Monterey Oaks um, that year because they don't like temperatures below freezing, especially for extended times like we had then. So Monterey Oaks really suffered then. This year's storm just coated everything with ice. And live oaks, loquats, magnolias, 
they took the brunt of the damage this year. These trees are semi-evergreen. They, they drop their leaves. They just don't drop them all at once. But instead, they lose a few here and there gradually through the year. Live oaks shed most of their leaves in like the late winter, early spring, right before they push out a flush of new spring growth. Magnolias do the same thing. They drop a bunch of leaves before they develop flower buds. But neither of these trees are ever completely naked, you know, like deciduous trees that drop all of their leaves in the fall. So magnolias and live oak and some of the other evergreens, they had um, leaves. Now, ice weighs five times heavier than snow. So like a cubic foot of snow weighs like 12 and a half pounds but a cubic foot of ice weighs 57 pounds. So remember that. And since these live oaks had not dropped their old leaves this year yet, they suffered under the weight of all of that ice just because they had so much more surface area for all the ice to cling to. They already have a dense canopy, so that dense canopy plus all that heavy ice, it just caused limbs to crash and break and fall. All that extra weight from the ice caused limbs to just snap off. And um, often they had like this cascade effect of damage. So like an upper branch would break and then that would crash down onto a lower branch and it'd break those and just like on down the tree. We've got some weird looking trees that I've seen this happen to, and it happened to our huge magnolia tree. This tree has been so beautiful, and it's giant. It's like two and a half stories tall. But with this storm, it just lost so many branches from the top all the way down. So instead of being like full and pretty all the way around, it looks like a pencil. It looks kind of dumb. <laughs> I actually have a whole lot of sad and stupid looking trees now. And we just had so much tree damage. I mean, I, have, I know I have a lot of trees. Um, so I shouldn't be surprised by that. But, you know, we don't even have any live oaks here in our yard. And... I have a lot of old established trees and I stopped counting after like 16, 16 trees were, I know there was more than that. I just stopped counting, but we had so many broken limbs, um, you know, mostly pecans, pecans are kind of, they're kind of like that. They just drop limbs all the time. Um, but I also had a whole lot of crepe myrtles, um, that broke too. And even though crepe myrtles, you know, they're not semi-evergreen or evergreen, they don't have any leaves on them, mine still had a lot of seed pods on them. And ornamentals with seed pods and berries like um, yapon hollies and possum haw hollies, they suffered a lot of damage too because the ice just clung to the berries and the seed pods. And just they have more delicate branches anyway. And it just weighed those branches down and it caused um, significant 
sections to just snap under the weight. We got quite a bit of ice, but there are some other factors that contributed to the massive amount of tree damage that we had this year in Central Texas. Now we got to take into account conditions from the past. You know, aside from Winter Storm Uri in 2021, we've also had some pretty bad drought conditions recently. I mean, last summer was tough. 2020, no surprise there, 2020 was also bad. And, you know, really, we've been fluctuating between drought stages for the last 15 years. And we've not exactly recovered very well from the extreme drought that we had in 2011. So conditions have not been super great for a lot of these older established trees. All this drought plus these kind of freaky weather events, it's really shouldn't be a surprise that some of these trees have suffered and have become vulnerable to extreme issues like ice damage. You might have some trees that um, just outright need to be replaced, but you know, don't let these fluke storms deter you from replanting with native or native adaptive plants and trees. You know, we, we don't get a whole lot of winter weather and we don't have ex extended freezing temperatures for the most part. Um, it seems like that lately, but just remember, nine months out of the year, it's warm and outright hot and natives grow best for us in central Texas where drought and heat are more of concern year-round. Native and native adaptive plants will always, always do better than non-native varieties. They will be more drought tolerant and they're going to have less issues with pests and diseases. Native adaptive plants, um, they aren't native to the area. They haven't been here forever and ever, but they grow like they are native. Adaptive plants have pretty much all the positive growing characteristics of a native. They're just as drought tolerant and pest and disease resistance like native plants. Thanks to the Arctic blast of 2021 all over Texas, you know, lots of folks replanted trees trees and shrubs everyone lost something it seemed you know not not just in our home landscapes but also on commercial properties and then you know also growers too nurseries lost a lot of plants due to the extended freeze you know in the end um it ended up being a pretty good year for tree sales but you know, with all of the replacement sales and then losses due to the freeze, there just wasn't as much inventory and there were inventory shortages all throughout the state of Texas. So 
as a result, there just weren't as many smaller trees. So the larger trees that did survive, they got sold. So now there aren't as many large trees out in the, I guess, the tree supply chain. Uh, I don't know if that's the right way to say that. There's not as much inventory. And I think it's going to be interesting to see how um, inventories are this year. I I think selection is not going to be all that great. I mean, mainly because it takes time to grow trees and shrubs. I mean, they're bigger plants and they take a while to, to mature. Um, plus, you know, there's fewer out there. And there's also more competition between buyers. I don't know. I'm not going to be surprised if I start hearing um, that kind of complaint. So if you are in the market for new trees or shrubs, you might want to just wait until the fall to plant your trees and shrubs. This is going to give you time to research and find the replacement trees and plants that you want. And fall is the best time for planting most trees and shrubs anyway. But if you want to add fruit trees or nut trees to your property, spring is the very best time to plant those. So make fruit and nut trees a priority because now is the best selection. Right now is when you can find the most varieties and the best selection of trees. And it's also the only time of year that bare root trees are available. Whatever you plant, just be sure to include mulch and compost for your new little trees. All plants, especially these saplings, benefit from mulch and compost. Both help improve the soil. Compost feeds the soil and helps keeps helps keep clay lightweight and full of nutrients. Mulch provides insulation to the roots. It helps maintain soil moisture. Plus, it keeps roots cool in the summer as well as warm in the winter. Now, I'm, I'm, I'm a pretty optimistic person for the most part. Um, I like to believe that these recent winter storms are unusual and really just part of the cyclical aspect of nature. Some years are just better than others and some years are worse, but really... If you have trees at your home, it's a good idea to regularly prune them. Keep them away from your buildings, keep them away from your parking spots, from your power lines. Proper trimming by a certified arborist will help reduce damage to your tree and to your property, and having them properly done it's going to help keep your trees looking really nice too. So Taylor was especially hit hard by power outages and tree damage. Taylor is a little bit different. Taylor hasn't grown as quickly as other parts of Williamson County for the larger cities in Williamson County and really all of uh, Travis County now, a lot of their population density is comes from new development, you know, suburban neighborhoods where 
there aren't a whole lot of old shade trees and their utilities are newer and they're underground. And that's not how Taylor is. Taylor is different. We have just a handful of brand new neighborhoods right now. Most of the homes are older, like most of them are 20 years plus. We've got a lot of old houses. My house is almost 100 years old, and that's not unusual here. We also have a lot more trees. We have a lot of old growth trees, more so than the newer parts of Hutto and Round Rock and Pflugerville. We also have older infrastructure like above ground utilities. And when we had this ice storm, you know, branches and limbs, when they started breaking and falling all over the place, including hitting the power lines and putting the power out. And it was pretty bad. We, we were lucky here at our house. We were only out of power for four days. Some parts of town, of town they were um, out a bit longer. I think everybody is fully restored now, I think. So we had so much tree damage, though, and I'm really grateful that nothing damaged our house. Um, and I'm okay with things just being a mess. I mean, it, it, it could have been worse. I know that it was worse for other people. But because we were out of power for so long, I did have to throw away all the food in our refrigerators, and I really hated to do that. Um, I was kind of tempted to keep some of it just because um, it, they were still fully sealed or they were, you know, I don't know. I was just tempted to keep it, but I know better than that. Plus, we had two kids with stomach bug run up all over the place when our power was out and that was awful so there was absolutely no freaking way I was going to risk food poisoning after that so I just threw everything out and as I was cleaning the refrigerators it was like this weird trip down memory lane and it made me a little wistful I mean I don't have like a you know attachments to food at least I didn't think I did um, but throwing away things that I had grown you know I tossed pickles that I had made from the cucumbers I grew I threw out fig jam from my fig trees I had roselle syrup that I made um, a couple bags of tomato sauce from my heirloom tomatoes that I grew I mean you know, I fished out bags of mushy squash from the freezer that had thawed. There were some uh, frozen peas in there that were from my garden. Uh, yeah, I know. Most of it was old, and I had forgotten about it. I mean, those peas had freezer burn on them. So it was just as well that I was pitching them and stuff. Chickens appreciated all of the vegetables that I threw out. Um, they benefited. But anyway, I got it all cleaned out. And while I was doing that, 
Um, there was a nice surprise in there. I found some um, packets of seeds that had gotten pushed to the back. And I also found a container of beneficial nematodes that got shoved way in the back. So I was happy to rediscover those. And I guess one day last week, I mixed up the beneficial nematodes and I poured that into the two beds that had bad root nematode last summer. I had root nematodes on my um, tomato plants. So I poured um, the nematode, beneficial nematodes out in those beds. So hopefully they were still active and will go after the bad root nematodes. I also set aside my those seeds that I found so I can remember to plant them this year. Had some milkweed in there and some native coneflower and a couple other seed packets. Um, I'm, you know, I'm not really sure if they'll germinate. They were kind of old, but they definitely were not going to sprout and grow in my refrigerator. So it's worth trying. We can still plant many cool season crops. Now until the end of February is the perfect time to plant all of these things out in the veggie beds. We can plant artichoke crowns, Asian greens, asparagus crowns, beets, broccoli and cabbage transplants, carrots, cauliflower, chard, collard greens, kale, kohlrabi, leeks, lettuce, mustard greens, onions, English peas, Irish potatoes, radishes, spinach, and turnips. So much stuff. And um, most of these we can plant from seed and still have um, a really good harvest. So you should uh, start working on getting those planted. And then also, you know, be on the lookout. Um, you'll, you'll find most of these as transplants too. Mid-February is also wonderful because we can start warm season favorites inside. If you've not started your tomatoes and peppers and you want to, get on that. Don't put it off if your goal is to plant them as early as possible. And the absolute earliest to plant would be right after the last average freeze. And that hits around March 5th. So that gives us a little less than a month to grow out some seedlings. And now that it's mid-February, we can start cucumbers and squash inside so that we can get a jump on planting those once we get past the last freeze date. You are listening to Plow and Hose on KBSR Black Sparrow Radio. If you are enjoying my show, I hope you'll go over to www.blacksparrowmusicparlor.com and check out the station and learn all about the great shows and music coming out of our station broadcasting from Taylor, Texas. Also, head over to Spotify or Apple or wherever you get your shows and subscribe to the Plow and Hose podcast. If you like the flexibility of being able to play, pause, and rewind my show whenever you want, download some episodes and be sure to leave a review. This is going to help others find the show and downloading Plow and Hose helps provide me with some statistics. Well, right before the ice storm, I was at the feed store and they had their little plant selection out front and they had strawberry transplants and they looked so nice. And I went back and forth. I stood out there looking at them 
and I debated if I really wanted to grow strawberries this year or not. Normally, I buy plants or crowns in the fall, but last year I didn't. And I, you know, I just kind of decided it. I wasn't going to do them this year. Um, I really babied them last year and I just didn't get very many. But these plants, they looked so nice and they looked so good that I just decided to buy a flat of them, like 10 of them, maybe 12. I don't remember. Anyway, I planted them right away when I got home. And then, of course, like the next week, they got covered in ice. Um, I wasn't too worried about them, mainly because it wasn't a prolonged freeze. And they're pretty cold tolerant. Um, temperatures did not get too low. And they still look really good. So I'm happy that I did decide to go ahead and get them. Now, it's not too late to plant strawberries. But if you want them, you need to get some and get them planted pretty soon. They need to have time to get settled in your bed so they can start producing flowers and berries before it gets too hot for them. Since it's closer to spring, get transplants. Don't bother buying bare root strawberries. Don't order those. Um, they're just not going to have time to develop roots and stems and fruits and flowers before it gets way too warm for them, like June. You can order bare root strawberries in the fall. Just just don't bother right now because there just isn't going to be enough time. Here in Taylor, with our heavy black clay soil, you will struggle to grow strawberries straight in the ground. Strawberries don't like our thick clay soil, and they are prone to root rot. If you want to grow strawberries, you really want to do them. You really want to grow them in a lightweight, well-draining soil. So your best bet will be to grow strawberries in a raised bed or a container. Strawberries grow best in sandy soil, so if you are not starting with a brand new bed with all brand new soil, you can put them in an existing bed that you want to use. Um, just be sure to amend your existing bed with lots of sand and some finely screened compost. You don't want compost to be too chunky, so you may have to sit through it a little bit and get all the big pieces out. You want your strawberry bed soil to be made up of two parts sand, one part compost, and one part topsoil. So look for a soil mixture that is similar to sandy loam. Strawberries have shallow roots, and you don't really have to have a deep raised bed. It can only it can be like 18 inches tall, and it will still be a good productive bed. During the growing season, strawberries can take some shade, but they need at least eight hours of sun for best results and higher yields. So make sure you have a nice sunny spot for your strawberry bed. Space strawberry plants about 12 inches apart. Once they are in the bed, all you have to do is surround them with lots of mulch. This is going to help keep the soil moist. 
Strawberries do not want to have soggy roots, but they want their roots to stay moist. So a nice thick layer of mulch will help maintain moisture. With a nice sandy, loamy, well-draining soil and a nice thick layer of mulch, you will have happy strawberries ready to produce in the spring. Strawberries are technically perennial plants. They die back and they're supposed to come back every year, but here in Central Texas, we just need to plan on treating them as annuals and replant them every year. It just gets a little too hot in the summer for them to come back consistently. Strawberries are great additions to the spring garden. They are small and shallow rooted and they are one of the best companion plants to add to a cool season garden and can be tucked in with other plants and grown together. One of the best plant com combinations are strawberries and salad greens. They grow well together and they also make a great salad. Companion planting is kind of a simple idea that Plants do better when they are grown with other plants, with plant friends. And I like this. Um, it makes sense to me. If you like, if you plant a vining plant like cucumbers at the base of a taller plant like corn, the cucumber vine shades the roots of the corn, and in return, the corn stalks shade the leaves and the fruit of the cucumber plants. Also companion planting um, includes flowers. So you can plant certain flowers with your veggies. The flowers attract beneficial insects like pollinators and some also can repel bad blood, bad bugs like marigolds. Marigolds are pretty stinky and bugs don't like them. You can go out to the internet and just do a quick search for companion planting and you will find a lot of lists and tables and all kinds of listings for the various combinations. Some charts also include incompatible plants, so that's kind of cool to check out. Now, I will say that pretty much all of these recommendations are anecdotal. The ideas have been passed down through the generations. There isn't a lot of scientific explanation behind why these combinations work. I don't necessarily care. I'm okay with not having the scientific reason. I'm not always interested in why something works. I'm just satisfied that it does. So um, go check that out. Now, one thing that I have noticed about these lists of companion plants is that some of them just don't make sense for our area, and that has to do with our growing seasons. Growing seasons in Central Texas are way different than growing in the Mid-Atlantic or growing in the Midwest, so your mileage may vary. Just check it out, cross-reference with um, a planting guide for Central Texas. Spinach and lettuce are both cool season crops that can go in the ground along with strawberries. 
spinach and lettuce will grow continuously through winter and spring. Neither spinach nor lettuce are likely to compete with strawberries. They all grow the best in well-draining sandy loam. Lettuces are also shallow, shallow roots, so their roots aren't going to compete with strawberry plants. Spinach plants have a slightly more extensive root system, but they only have a primary taproot and their roots can grow much deeper than strawberries. If a spinach is happy where it's planted, it can develop a five foot long taproot. So a taproot that long is not likely to compete with your shallow rooted strawberries for nutrients or water. Here in Central Texas, Valentine's Day, February 14th, is the target date for planting and pruning roses. If you have established roses in the ground, this is the perfect time to prune them because your roses are still dormant. If your roses are planted in a warm spot, like near your house, they may have some green leaves, but like most plants, your roses are still taking their break during the winter and they haven't quite woken up yet. Once the weather starts to warm up and stay warm as we head into March, roses will begin to grow very actively. So you want to prune your roses in this short window between dormancy and rapid growth. There are two general types of roses, climbing roses and shrub roses. Climbing roses are also called rambling roses. They grow on long canes and roses bloom from the previous year's growth. They only bloom once a year, so you need to wait until after they bloom to prune them. And only only remove dead or brittle limbs and just lightly prune them now to, to shape them. If you cut climbing roses too much right now, uh, you're not going to get any roses this year. And that would be really sad because climbing roses usually put out lots of flowers all at once and look really spectacular. So let them bloom and then when they're done blooming, then you can cut them back. Remove any of the canes, though, that are dead or old and not productive. You can tell this because they're usually gray in color, and they might kind of look scaly or kind of look like they're developing bark. Those can go. Now, shrub roses, the ones that grow like a bush, they usually need some annual pruning to keep them in nice shape and decent flower production. If you want more flowers, you should only trim your rose bushes to three to four feet tall. Keep them three to four feet tall. But if you want bigger flowers, you should cut your bushes down to two feet tall. So bigger flowers two feet tall. Same as climbing roses, be sure to remove any weak or crisscrossing canes 
and remove the suckers that pop up below the graft. Um, these will be at the base of the plant. You don't want um, you don't want any of that growth coming from below the graft because they won't be like um, the flowers that are above the graft. If you have roses that were there when you moved in, you inherited them when you bought your house, um, if they aren't really thriving or they're having constant problems with insects or a fungal disease, you might want to just consider removing them because they're probably always going to have problems. Um, roses are just kind of funny that way. They're, they're hard to fix. Once they, once they go off, they're hard to fix. You know, if you have like a bunch planted close together, then, you know, you could try removing every other one and giving them um, some space because roses need good circulation. Otherwise, you're going to end up with some sort of fungal disease like black spot. Once you once you have a problem, it's hard to hard to get rid of um, organically, and you don't want to mess with all kinds of chemical fungicides. I don't. Now, if you are interested in planting new roses, then I highly recommend that you get familiar with Earthkind roses. Texas A&M has spent years and years researching roses all over Texas, and they have determined which roses will grow best in our state. If you're interested in learning more about Earthkind Roses, go check out episode four. That was a long time ago, but I did go into a lot of detail about these special Texas roses, so go download that and listen to it. Another bit of advice for roses, always, always follow the spacing information when planting your roses. It's really tempting to place them close together because, you know, maybe you got some bare root roses and they are really scrawny looking. And even the ones that you can buy in the pots, um, they're going to look pretty small when you place them out in your beds. But if you have a great spot and you have, you picked a great variety, your roses are going to grow and grow and grow. And if you space them properly, you won't have to prune them as much. You won't have to cut them back and they won't grow into each other. And they're just going to do better and they're going to look better and you're going to have better quality flowers follow the spacing information. Roses also want about eight hours of full sunlight a day. Here in Taylor, in our part of Central Texas, where we have this heavy black clay, we need to amend the soil for the roses. And we can do that by incorporating a lot of compost because clay is thick and very dense. And it doesn't deal with water well. It has a hard time absorbing water. So adding compost, um, it's several purposes. Um, adding compost is going to help with drainage. It's also going to provide nutrients to the soil. And it also retains just the right amount of water for your roses. So when you dig your planting hole, Plan on adding a lot of compost. 
it's hard to overdo compost. So put your rose in the hole, alternate a scoop of compost with a scoop of soil, compost soil, compost soil, until your hole is filled. And be sure to add a nice thick layer of mulch around your roses. Three to four inches of mulch on your roses is perfect. Okay, friends. Well, thank you for joining me again today. I am so happy to be past this ice storm and to be halfway through February because we're getting closer and closer to sunnier and warmer days. And springtime is my favorite time of year. And we can be getting ready for this great time because there's just so much we can do to get ready for spring. Okay, friends, I'm going to let you go. Have a great week. And we'll catch you next week. Bye. Production assistance provided by KBSR, Black Sparrow Radio. Original music created by Alex Cuervo. Discover more of his music at alexcuervo.tv. If you love plants and gardening in Central Texas, be sure to click the subscribe button wherever you get your podcasts and never miss seasonal information on Plow and Hose. Plow and Hose is written and recorded at my home in Taylor, Texas. Thank you.